This podcast is from Christian Chapel in Tulsa, Oklahoma. For more information, visit us online at christianchapel.com. Today, we are continuing a series of messages from Mark chapter 5 that we've called Unchained. And so Mark chapter 5 verses 1 through 20 is a story of Jesus bringing unexpected freedom to a, a man who is just dominated by the power of evil in his life. And so Jesus shows up unexpectedly. It's an unexpected place. Jesus brings freedom and life to him. And so we're kind of slowly working our way through this passage. If you've been with us the last couple of weeks, you know one of the, the most unique parts of this story is when Jesus allows these evil spirits who he sends out of the man to go into a herd of pigs and the pigs then run off a cliff into the water and drowned, which leads us to probably our, our most intriguing aspect of the story, uh, where today we're going to try to answer the question, what about the pigs? Because it just comes up over and over again of why do they have to die? And we'll, we'll get into some of that later and, and why we maybe have a harder time with that than other people at other points in history or other people around the world might. But before we do that, let's read the whole story together so we're all on the same page, have the, the same kind of starting point. Mark chapter 5, verse 1 through 20. If you don't have a Bible with you, it will be on the screens for you to read along with me. Mark begins by saying, they, meaning Jesus and the disciples, they went across the lake to the region of the Gerasenes. When Jesus got out of the boat, a man with an impure spirit came from the tombs to meet him. This man lived in the tombs, and no one could bind him anymore, not even with a chain. For he had often been chained hand and foot, but he tore the chains apart and broke the irons on his feet. No one was strong enough to subdue him. Night and day among the tombs and in the hills, he would cry out and cut himself with stones. When he saw Jesus from a distance, he ran and fell on his knees in front of him. He shouted at the top of his voice, What do you want with me, Jesus, Son of the Most High God? In God's name, don't torture me. For Jesus had said to him, Come out of this man, you impure spirit. Then Jesus asked him, What is your name? My name is Legion, he replied, for we are many. And he begged Jesus again and again not to send them out of the area. A large herd of pigs was feeding on the nearby hillside. The demons begged Jesus, send us among the pigs, allow us to go into them. He gave them permission and the impure spirits came out and went into the pigs. The herd, about 2,000 in number, rushed down the steep bank into the lake and were drowned. Those tending the pigs ran off and reported this in the town and the countryside and the people went out to see what had happened. When they came to Jesus, they saw the man who had been possessed by the legion of demons sitting there, dressed and in his right mind, and they were afraid. Those who had seen it told the people what had happened to the demon-possessed man and told about the pigs as well. Then the people began to plead with Jesus to leave their region. As Jesus was getting in the boat, the, the man who had been demon-possessed begged to go with him. Jesus did not let him, but said, go home to your own people and tell them how much the Lord has done for you and how he has had mercy on you. So the man went away and began to tell in the Decapolis how much Jesus had done for him, and all the people were amazed. Now, as I said, today we're going to talk about what about the pigs and focus primarily on verse 11. A large herd of pigs was feeding on the nearby hillside. The demons begged Jesus, send us among the pigs and allow us to go into them. He gave them permission, and the impure spirits came out and went into the pigs. The herd, about 2,000 in number, rushed down the steep bank into the lake and were drowned. So what about the pigs? It's the most common question that comes up when we read this, right? Of the poor little pigs, right? There's like all the little piggies. They didn't go to the market. They went off a cliff into the lake and they drowned, 
And that's not a story you should tell your kids. And yet it's in the Bible and Jesus is involved in it. When I was in, I think, first or second grade, I don't remember exactly, but about that age, I was in Sunday school in Ark City, Kansas. First Assembly of God, Ark City, Kansas. It was a two-story, well, one story with a basement, and all the kids' classes were down in the basement. So we were down there for Sunday school, and I remember our teacher was teaching us through the story of the Israelites coming out of Egypt. So she had spent a couple weeks probably going through the ten plagues, and I'm sure we were all locked in on that because those stories always capture kids' attention, right? The Sunday I remember, though, is when she was talking to us about the Israelites being on the banks of the Red Sea, and Pharaoh's army was coming hot and fast behind them, and God parts the waters, the nation of Israel walks through, and then as Pharaoh's army crosses in to run after them, God lets the waters fall back in place, and all of Pharaoh's army, it says his chariots, his horsemen, and his soldiers were drowned. And the threat to Israel was eliminated. And what was supposed to be a moment of her teaching us about God's power and God's sovereign care for his people and how he can do anything he wants to accomplish his purposes was interrupted by a girl named Jennifer who sat next to me. And as soon as she finished the story, Jennifer didn't even raise her hand, just burst out. What about the horses? Why did the horses have to die? Do you think God didn't like them? Were they bad horses? What about the horses? And and as we kind of had the conversation, I remember it came out, Jennifer had a horse and she loved her horse. And when she heard this story, more than she identified with God's people, she identified with the horse. And so I, I remember as a first grader thinking, Jennifer raises a good point. What about the horses? Why? And we looked to our Sunday school teacher and all of her infinite wisdom, and she gave us the following answer. You'll have to ask Jesus when you get to heaven. (laughs) And I remember then thinking, well, that's not a good answer, right? But I didn't have a better one. I assume maybe some of the horses were strong and were able to swim away. I don't really know what happened to them. I don't know why it happened. But what I know is when we read Mark chapter 5, some of us, instead of celebrating this incredible miracle that Jesus has accomplished, our focus is, well, what about the pigs? Those poor little pigs. And, And normally our response kind of reveals how we were raised or sometimes even where we were raised. How many of you would say you grew up in a more rural setting, rural country farm? Okay, so my, I'm just going to go out on a limb here and say that most of you who are raised in those settings, you got no problem with the pigs dying. Like it, it didn't even occur to you, right? My, my dad grew up on a farm. He raised us with a very utilitarian view of animals. Of animals are here for a purpose. Their purpose is to serve us. If they don't, then we, you know. And so we had hunting dogs growing up. And he would always tell us, like, these are not your pets. They have a job. If they don't do their job, they find a new home and we find another one. So that was, that was ours. Now, how many of you would say you did not grow up in that? You grew up in a more relational animal setting. Okay, right? So, so maybe you call yourself a dog mom. Maybe you call yourself a dog dad. Maybe you call yourself a cat mom or a cat dad. Maybe you, you know, you, anybody ever had, actually had a pet pig? Anybody? There's always, there's always a, oh, you're not even alone. There's more with you back there. Yeah, you guys can start a club afterwards. But, you know, there's just this, this thought of like these sweet, little pigs, what in the world happened to them? And and so what I do think is important for us, because we live in probably one of the most animal-centric cultures at any point in human history. We give our dogs our last name, right? We have pet cemeteries. Do you know how absurd? You can buy insurance, health insurance for your pet, 
right? Like, so, so those of you that grew up on a farm, you're like, we had health insurance. Don't tell those stories. They offend everyone, right? You just, you can't say those things. But, but it does raise a question for us because when we read the scriptures at times, it's at odds with our culture. And so when that happens, we can, like my Sunday school teacher, say, uh, just ask Jesus in heaven, which he'll answer it, I'm sure. Or we can do a little work and, and try to explore what is actually going on here. So I want to give you three quick things that, that will maybe kind of soothe our initial rejection of this story. And then two ideas that take us a little bit deeper into what the pigs are supposed to teach us and why they're included and featured so prominently in the story. So um, the, the, the pigs, the pigs, the pigs, what about the pigs? The first thing you need to understand Jesus doesn't kill any animals in this story, right? The, the demons are possessing this man. They, Jesus tells them, you got to get out of him. They say, will you send us into the pigs? He says, that's fine. Go ahead. When the demons enter the pigs, it is the evil spirits that cause the pigs to run off the steep bank into the lake and be drowned. Jesus does not say, go to the pigs and kill them. He just says, you can go, and then it's an opportunity for everybody to observe that's where evil actually leads. This is what evil actually does. But Jesus himself does not personally kill them. Right? The same way in that Exodus story. It wasn't God driving the horses into the sea. It was Pharaoh's army trying to chase God's people. So Jesus doesn't kill them. The, the, the second thing you need to understand is it is helping us understand the supreme value that God places on human life. If Jesus had to choose between 2,000 pigs and one man, he's going to choose the man every single time. Right? And, and so this is, again, something for us to consider. If there is ever a culture that places animal life with the same value as human life, there is something wrong with that culture. If we're more upset about the death of an animal than we are about the death of a human, there is something wrong with us. And it's an invitation for us to once again consider God's order of creation. And in God's order of creation, humanity, you and I, sit at the top. We are the only aspect of creation that is created in the image of God and bears the image of God. We're the only aspect of creation that has the ability to have a relationship with God, to hear his voice and to live as he calls us to live. And so in this story, it's, it's probably not originally written as a rebuke of animal-centered cultures in 2022, and yet it is an opportunity for us to stop and think, okay, humanity, always more important than animals. Okay, so, so, so there's that. And then the, the last thing that we need to consider is this story is originally intended for a Jewish audience. And so for a Jewish audience, this story is, is almost comedic in the way it occurs. Because from a Jewish perspective, here's what happens. Jesus shows up in an unclean land, a place of the Gentiles, where they do not follow the, the appropriate customs and practices. He interacts with an unclean man who is possessed by unclean spirits. Jesus commands the unclean spirits to leave. They ask if they can go into a herd of pigs. And at this point, the Jews who hear the story would have almost been laughing on the inside of like, yeah, send them to the pigs. They go into the pigs, the pigs die. And it's just this story of triumph for Jesus. He's cleansed the man and he's cleared the land. And it's this really beautiful thing that happens. But for us, again, we have to do some work to understand why that would be their reaction. Now, as we've mentioned several times, pigs, pork was unclean for Jewish people. 
It was one of dozens of animals that they were not allowed to eat. And yet by the time of Jesus, the pig is transitioned from just another in a list of unclean animals to really symbolizing foreign oppression and the way the enemies of God attack the people of God. There are stories from the decades and and centuries preceding Jesus of Syrian armies coming into Israel and conquering certain areas. And when they would conquer them, one of the ways they would try to humiliate the Jewish men of the town was by bringing them to the middle of the town and forcing them to eat pork in front of their entire community. And so, so the pig is transitioned from just another list of unclean foods to a sign of this is what our enemy does and this is how he responds. When the Romans come, a pig is, is, is just central to their culture, and they use it to insult the Jews in different ways at different times. So in, in first century Israel, when they hear the story of Jesus drove out the demons and he drove them into the pigs, the only Jewish response, there's not a single person who says, those poor pigs, everybody just stands and applauds. For you and I, we've, we've again, got to work a little bit. So, so think of, like, because we live in the age of Peppa Pig and Miss Piggy and... <laughs> you know, Babe, the sheep herding pig, and Wilbur from Charlotte's Web, and pigs are intelligent, and they're smart, and they're better than dogs, and all of these kinds of things. And so we've got to do a little work to understand that the response, so, so think instead of, instead of pigs, let's think of if Jesus, if it had been rats. All right, any, any rat fans? Yeah, I know, there's always, I'm sorry, I knew, Greg, I knew when I saw you, if Greg's going to raise his hand but he primarily feeds them to his snakes. So that's a different thing, right? But so, so here, listen though, I've, I've got a friend who she has a, a rat problem in her house right now. Would any of you like to go visit her after church? You want to go hang out? You want to take your kids over there? You want to, she's thinking of opening a rat bed and breakfast, right? Like she was telling me earlier today of their, their tunneling under her house. Uh, they have, she said, I've, I've had multiple exterminators come out and every single one of them had said, you're doing everything we would do. Like you've set the, you've set all the different variations of traps and nothing's working. She said, there's two that primarily keep showing up in her house and she just can't get rid of them. She said, I've, I've tried the glue traps and they just drag them around the house until they knock them off. Have you ever heard a grown rat dragging a large glue trap across your floor in the middle of the night? If you did, would you think, I'm really happy that the Lord blessed me with this house. <laughs> you want it. You'd be thinking about burning it down, right? Have you ever woke up in the morning and seen that glue trap laying in the middle of your floor just covered in fur? But knowing there's a half-naked rat running around somewhere. And now he's looking for revenge. She told me a few weeks ago she, she thought she had one cornered. And she got it cornered and she, I think she had an oven mitt and a broom. And it had climbed up into one of her house plants. And she was trying to figure out how do I kind of shoo it out the door. And she said as I walked over to it, it leapt out of the plant at me. I mean she's been attacked by a rat. Now, put yourself in her shoes, and if you read a story about Jesus showing up and driving an evil spirit out of a person into 2,000 rats who subsequently run into a lake and drown, your only reaction would be, good job, Jesus. Just great job. Kill them all. This is the, the, the original reaction to the pigs. Now, you and I, we've got to work a little bit more because we don't have that kind of uh, cultural aversion to pigs, right? And, and yet, so those are kind of the surface answers there. Jesus doesn't kill anything. Uh, humans are always more valuable than animals and understand the context and the culture. 
And so we could kind of leave it there and move on, but I think there's two other things that, that the pigs teach us about. The first is they teach us about the purpose and the power of evil. And so, so we've talked a lot as we've worked through Mark chapter 5 about what evil does and how it works. But, but in this portion, especially when, those pigs, when the pigs run off into the sea, it highlights the purpose and the power of evil for us. And it's, it's meant to force us to consider that evil is not just simply there to distract us. It's not there to annoy us. It's not there to just slow us down or throw us slightly off track in our life. But the ultimate goal of the enemy is to kill you. Again and again and again in the scriptures, God is presented as the author of life, the giver of life, the creator of life, the sustainer of life. And so it only makes sense then that his enemy becomes the one who seeks to bring death to everyone, everywhere, all of the time. This is the enemy's goal. We see it in Mark 5. What happens? As soon as they find their way to the pigs, what do the pigs do? They kill themselves. That's what they were trying to achieve in this man's life in Mark chapter 5, but had been unable to do to this point. But yet when they are moved into another host... It's a sign to the whole region from Jesus of, look, you guys thought this was just one man, but this is actually what these evil spirits do. They seek your death. You see this played out as well in Mark chapter 9. We find a story of Jesus encountering another person who's possessed by an evil spirit. A father brings his son to the disciples who's been plagued by an evil spirit. It, it constantly torments him. The disciples can't cast it out. So they bring him to Jesus, and when the boy stands before Jesus, the evil spirits inside of him freak out. He's thrown onto the ground into a convulsion. He's foaming at the mouth, and we pick up the story in Mark chapter 9, verse 21. It says, Jesus asked the boy's father, how long has he been like this? From childhood, he answered. It has often thrown him into fire or water to kill him. But if you can do anything, take pity on us and help us. Now, if we had time, we would read the rest of that story and we would see that once again, Jesus drives out the evil spirit. He restores this son to his father. It's, it's another beautiful story of deliverance. But what I want us to focus on today is that line from the father. It has often thrown him into the fire or water to kill him. Mark 9 reiterates the lesson of Mark 5 that the enemy's goal for your life is not just distraction or destruction. It's death. Everything he does in your life is meant to kill and harm you, right? And so you, you might think it's not that serious. It's not that big of a deal. I'm not going to be controlled by this. I'm not going to be dominated by this. But again and again and again, the scriptures teach us the enemy comes only. Jesus tells us in John 10 to steal, kill, and destroy, He's not coming just to inconvenience or slow you down. He's coming to end your life. And the death he brings, the ultimate goal is physical death. That he, through your death, he can separate you from God. He thinks he can separate you from others. The enemy knows the pain that death causes in our world. He knows the, the grief, the sorrow, the loss, the sense of separation, how it becomes a breeding ground for bitterness and anger and disappointment with God. And so his goal is to sow that everywhere he can. And in the meantime, as he's leading you on the road to physical death, he's bringing death to every other part of your life. 
He's trying to get you to kill your marriage, to kill your relationships, to kill the dreams that God has for you, to kill the future God has planned for you. As a parent, he's trying to get you to kill the influence you have in the life of your children. As a teenager, he's trying to get you to kill through destructive choices the path that God has for you. The enemy's plan is to kill everything in your life and then ultimately to kill you as well. And we're all so glad that we came to church this morning to hear that because it's just super encouraging, right? Like as every week, as I sit down with Mark chapter five, it's just like, all right, back to the power of evil, back to its destructive power in our life. We are being forced again and again and again to consider this. And honestly, they're not my favorite messages to preach. I'd rather just mention it in passing and then tell you, but Jesus is victorious. So let's get on down that road. And yet what I see every week is God keeps bringing us back in this passage to, no, 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 consider again the purpose and power of evil. Consider again the destructive nature of sin. Consider again the ultimate destination for everyone who welcomes evil into their life. And and the only thing that I can come up with over the last couple weeks is that this is clearly something God is wanting to plant deep in the hearts and the community of Christian Chapel in this season. That sin is is not something to be messed with. That evil is not something to be managed. That it will always kill. It will always destroy. It will always bring havoc and ruin to everything it touches. And specifically today, what the pigs demonstrate to us is if evil is given free reign in your life, you will be dead in a moment. That's where the enemy wants to take you. He's not trying to prolong your suffering for decades at a time. Left to him, he would just end you today. And so so it forces us again to consider if that's the enemy's ultimate goal, then why would I mess with things that are leading me to that destination? And everything else in your life, I mean, there are a lot of things in the world that can kill us. And if you don't believe me, just have a baby and suddenly you'll start thinking about all of them. Right? When, when your baby starts crawling or walking, you look at your house in a whole new way. Stairs can kill them. Walls in the outlet can kill them. The water can kill them. Outside can kill them. The garage can kill them. The, everything in your house becomes a danger. And because everything in your house becomes a danger, you start to put up some guardrails. You start to put up some safety rails. You start to try to teach your kid, don't touch that. Don't go there. Don't say that. Don't do this. Don't take the blow dryer in the bathtub. All of these kinds of things. You're trying to teach them why? Because you know there's a real threat. Later in life, as you start to, maybe you have a job where there there are real dangerous aspects to your job. You don't just approach those flippantly. You're you're very serious about them. You're making sure that your guardrails around it, that you stay as far away from those things as you can, that you hand, if you have to handle them, it's as as safely as you possibly can. And yet when it comes to sin, somehow we've deceived ourselves to think, I know the enemy wants to kill me, but I think I can take care of just this little part on my own. I think I can handle it. I think I can manage it. I think I can do it. In Mark chapter five, it paints a really powerful picture for us of if you welcome sin and evil into your life, you have two options. You will be as distraught as the man in Mark chapter five, or you will be as dead as the pigs in Mark chapter five. But there's no world where everything keeps going okay. And you keep just worshiping at the idol of your sin and selfishness. It always has a cost. 
It will always cost you relationally. It will always cost you professionally. It will always cost you in, your, in every aspect of your life. And ultimately, it will cost you your life. And so Jesus allows the spirits to go into the pig to be a resounding story that lasts in that region, most likely for generations to come of this is what evil looks like. Our ancestors might have participated in it. Our parents and grandparents might have joined in some of these forms of worship, but we now know these are not harmless. They were not just the way of our people. It was the way that leads to death. Remember the pigs. Remember the pigs. This man later becomes an evangelist who travels around the area. I don't know exactly what his story would have been, but in the same way you can't go through Texas without some remember the Alamo signs and t-shirts and slogans. If I was that man telling the story, I would have worn a t-shirt that said, remember the pigs. Just remember the pigs. That's what happens. If evil is left unrestrained, that's where we end up. Dead, separated, and alone. It does force us to consider the the other side of this, though. If those evil spirits, when they're allowed to enter the pigs, immediately run them off a cliff and into the lake and they drown, then how was this man able to stay alive for so long with all of that in him? We talked last week about how when Jesus asked the demons their name, they say, we are legion for we are many. And that at that time, a legion represented 6,000 Roman soldiers. So it doesn't necessarily mean that there's exactly 6,000 impure spirits in him. But what it means is there's a lot. There's a lot of evil inside of him. And yet, somehow, when that evil goes into the pigs, the pigs immediately die. But when that evil lives in the man, he is able to stay alive. And it points us to consider, so why the pigs, the purpose and power of evil, but also the pigs force us to consider God's restraining power over evil. Now, again, the, the difference between the man and the pigs, just in case we didn't get it earlier, is the man is created in the image of God and bears the image of God. The pigs do not. They're part of God's creation. We should care for them, right? We're not saying that that animals don't matter. Creation doesn't matter. We obviously have responsibilities there as kingdom people. But the difference is when the pigs are possessed by the evil spirits, There is no image of God, there is no spirit of God in them or around them to restrain the immediate impact of evil. They're driven mad and they're driven to their death. This man in Mark chapter 5, he is the host to the same amount of evil. And it shows itself, right? He's been driven out of his home, he's been driven out of his town. He's been abused by people who say they love him. They tried to chain him hand and foot just to keep him locked up and away from everyone else. He's broken free from those chains. He now lives in the tombs. He's probably eating his meals from the the pagan worship offerings that people are leaving for the dead. This is his life. It says he shrieks night and day among the tombs, running around screaming. He cuts himself with stones looking for some element of relief. And when we see and hear that story, it's tempting to think, where is God? And yet when we compare it to what happens to the pigs, we have to acknowledge that the only reason this man is still alive is because God is restraining the full impact of evil from having its way in his life. If God's hand had been withdrawn at any point, a man would have killed himself in an instant. He could not have overpowered it. And so it forces us to consider if the same is not also true in our lives and in the world around us. 
John tells us that that is absolutely the case. John chapter 1 verse 4, speaking of Jesus, it says, In him was life, in Jesus was life, and that life was the light of all mankind. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. So so two things we want to notice here that John teaches us about Jesus. First of all, he's the light of all mankind. The light of Jesus shines into the heart, life, the culture, and relationships of every man, woman, and child who has lived at any point and will live at any point. There is everywhere people exist, Jesus' light shines into the darkness. The second thing John tells us is the darkness has not overcome it. If he had more space, and in some of his other letters he expounds on the idea, not only is the darkness not overcome it, it will not, it cannot overcome it. And so what it's inviting us to consider is this idea that before we are ever aware of Jesus, before we've ever made a move towards him, before you were ever convicted of your sin, before you ever read a scripture, before you ever heard someone invite you to church, before you ever had an inkling of, I think I'm missing something in my life, before any of that ever happened, the light of Christ was shining into your life. And when the light of Christ shines in your life, he restrains the power of evil. He keeps it from having its full effect. He keeps it from leading to your full and complete destruction. So what that means for us today is that in the darkest corners of your life, where you are embarrassed, where you're ashamed, where you think, I can't believe I ever let it get this bad, that is not a space where God is absent. It's a space where God is working. Because as bad as it is, it could be worse. As dark as it is, It could be darker. It means when we look around the world today and we see over here this is going on and over there that is going on and we hear these evil stories here and those evil stories there and we we see the things that we do to each other and and we're tempted to think, where is God? And what the scriptures are teaching us is, is God is right in the middle of it. And he is restraining, he is holding back the full impact of evil. And so as followers of Jesus, it it requires us to really come to this sobering conclusion of as bad as it is, it could be much worse if not for the grace of God. And and we see God throughout the scriptures restraining evil in us and around the world in a couple different ways. We see that God has given us a conscience, that each one of us, before we follow Jesus, we have some natural inclination of what is right and what is wrong. Now, we are also sinful by nature, and so just because we know what is right and what is wrong doesn't mean we will choose what is right. right? Often, we'll choose what is wrong, and then even more often, we'll try to to determine that what is wrong is actually right, and and we'll work in those ways and try try to behave in those ways as well. So God gives us a conscience. God also places us in families. So sometimes it's mom and dad who are part of God's restraining power of evil. If you've got little kids this morning, you, you know exactly what I'm talking about. Just imagine if you never told them no. If you let them do whatever they want. If you taught them, you know what, whatever impulse you have, we, let's just go with that. Like if you have multiple kids, at least one of them would be dead already. Because an older sibling would have just taken out the, the little one earlier in life. Right? Your whole job as a parent is restraining evil. And as a Christian parent, it's pointing to Jesus. 
And when parents don't do their jobs, when families fail, that's when we see evil become more rampant, more powerful in the cultures around the world. Because a family is supposed to be one of God's restraining forces against evil. And then we also see government and civil authorities. We see in the scriptures, these are part of God's restraining power against evil. And we can have all different kinds of political views and political persuasions, but we can all agree that there are laws in place to prevent us from acting on our worst impulses. And if those laws were suddenly removed and we were told, do whatever you want, we would not become a more loving and kind society, right? We would become more violent, more selfish, more greedy, more harmful to one another. And so there's all these things that God has put in place, natural systems, things within us to restrain the power of evil. And yet what he's doing in those spaces is trying to hold it back long enough for us to encounter Jesus. This is what we see in Mark chapter 5. This man is tormented. He's alone. He's isolated. He's cutting himself, looking for some kind of relief. You've got to imagine those evil spirits that drive him to these behaviors are probably also telling him it would be easier if you would just end it. Jump off the cliff, slash the wrist, make the noose, just get it over with. You can't live this way anymore. And yet there is something that prevents him from taking that final step. And for you and I as followers of Jesus, we know that something is the spirit of God at work in his life before he even has an awareness of who Jesus is or what Jesus can do. But God keeps him alive long enough for the day that Jesus steps out of the boat and onto the shore. And this, is, this has to be our prayer in our life of, Lord, in, in seasons where I am not listening to you, in seasons where I am far from you, will you restrain the full impact of evil until I am ready to receive your freedom? This should be one of our primary prayers for our friends and our family members who do not yet know Jesus. Lord, will you hold back the flood of evil that is trying to wash them off the face of the earth? And will you sustain them long enough that they can see you, encounter you, and be changed by you? This is what happens in Mark chapter 5. It's what happens in our life as well. It's why the, the pigs, I mean, it is a great cost. We'll talk a little bit more about that in a couple of weeks. It's a great cost, but it's a cost that Jesus is willing to pay, one that he's willing to inflict on the region so they can learn about the purpose and power of evil, so they can learn about the power of Jesus to defeat every evil that they face. It invites us to this, this last thing we want to consider this morning of what do the pigs teach us about Jesus, evil, and us? And they're, they're meant to point us back to these same ideas that we've spent all our time with this morning. First of all, that the enemy still wants to kill you. The sin that you deal with, the, the struggles that you have, they are not harmless. They are not just little inconveniences. They are not things that you can get better with on your own. They are areas where the enemy is crouching at your door, waiting to destroy you, waiting to kill you, waiting to bring death into every part of your life. And so we don't mess with it. We don't toy with it. We're also reminded that God is actively restraining the full impact of evil in our lives and in the world around us. And it's, it's probably a prayer that we don't pray very often, but maybe we should include a few more prayers of thankfulness and gratitude for, Lord, thank you for all the ways you work that I've never seen. Thank you for all the threats you've saved me from that I've never known. Thank you for all the consequences that you have withheld so I would have an opportunity to live in freedom and in life. 
He's still going to bat for you before you even turn to him. And then the, the, the pigs, they also teach us that Jesus brings freedom. Right? The, the impure spirits go into the pigs because they have to come out of the man. They don't get to stay where they want to stay. So Jesus tells them, you've got to go, and that's fine. You can go over there. We'll use that to tell an even bigger story. Right? And, they, and they think they've won, but they've lost. The same is true in your life today, that, that God not only restrains evil, but he drives it out. The things that have held you captive, the things that have kept you desperate, you can surrender those to Jesus. And he not only kind of makes you feel a little better, he completely uproots them, tears them out, and brings you into an experience of new life with him. And as followers of Jesus, we then remember we do not live in this eternal battleground where good and evil are equally matched. You're not a pawn between the Lord and Satan. You are a son and a daughter of God who has been saved, who's been set free, and who has received your identity as his son and as his daughter. And in that new identity, evil can no longer possess you. In that new identity, evil can no longer control you. In that new identity, evil can no longer destroy you. It might still come. It might still cause heartaches and headaches around you. You still feel the impact of it from the world. But the victory of Christ that he shares with you is perfect and final. You have defeated evil through him right now. And you will one day experience the full defeat when you are resurrected with it. As followers of Jesus, we do not live in fear. We do not live in worry of, well, will the evil come back? Will the evil take control again? We know I'm the son and the daughter of God. And the one who the son sets free is free indeed. Completely and totally. And when Jesus drives it out, he's now standing guard to make sure it doesn't come back. It's not on me. It's on him. He's taking the responsibility for my freedom and for your freedom. The things that possess you, the things that chain you, the things that hold you tight and hold you captive are rendered powerless in the presence of Jesus. And I don't really know why we've been coming back to this again and again and again for the past four or five weeks, other than it's still a message that some of us need to hear and embrace, that we need to move past, I know he did it then, to I need you to do it now. And we need that freedom, and we need that life, and we need that resurrection power. And that's the promise of the scriptures. What Jesus did then, he still does now. What he did for that man in Mark 5, he's ready to do for you and me this morning. So if you'll stand with me, bow your heads and close your eyes. I want to pray for you and give us a chance to, to respond to what the Lord is saying to us. Jesus, we thank you that you are the one who brings freedom to us. We thank you that in our lives, you have restrained the full impact of evil. The fact that we are standing here today, that we can hear the gospel proclaimed, that we can experience the presence of your spirit, Lord, all of it is proof that you have protected us and preserved us to bring us to these moments. Lord, I pray especially for those who feel they are in their darkest hour, in their loneliest night, Lord, that, that the depths of their sin have taken them farther than they ever could have imagined, and they see the current state of their life as proof that you're not with them. Jesus, I pray today that you would begin to transform it and you would show them you are in the pit with them. You are holding back the one who seeks to kill them.
You are creating another opportunity for them to hear your voice, inviting them into life and freedom today. And so Jesus, we come from every position with every kind of heartache and headache. We come today to ask for your complete and total freedom. Lord, you see the areas where the enemy has lied and deceived. You see where we have let him gain a foothold in our hearts and in our minds. You see the relationships where he has sown destruction and death. Lord, in every space today, we surrender to your presence. We thank you for your restraining power and we cry out for your freedom. Lord, will you come today and set the captive free? Will you come today and sever the chains that bind us to old behaviors and old addictions? Will you come today, God, and bring freedom and life? Will you restore joy and hope? Will we see you not as the God who is far off waiting in judgment, but as the Savior who walks up close to bring true and lasting freedom? The one who calls out the evil and throws out the evil. Jesus, we come to take our place as your sons and your daughters. We come exhausted from fighting our own battles and ready to receive your victory. Lord, today, will you continue to renew marriages? Will you continue to restore families? Will you continue to give back what the enemy has taken from us? Lord, I pray today that you would push back against depression, that you would push back against sickness. Lord, that you would drive these things out and we would experience the fullness of freedom and life in Christ. And Jesus, we pray that what you are doing here, you will do all over the world today. Lord, we pray for those who live in spaces where the gospel light is dim, where the name of Jesus is not known, where the enemy is working through systems and structures to destroy the people of God and to destroy the work of God. Lord, we pray in those places that your spirit would restrain evil this morning. Lord, that you would stand up against it and hold it back. That in every space, Lord, your kingdom would come. Your will would be accomplished. That men, women, teenagers who've never heard your voice would experience the light and life of Jesus today. Lord, where the light is small, may it grow bright. Where your name is not known, may it be proclaimed. Jesus, we ask, Lord, that as the purpose and power of the enemy is revealed, your purposes and your power would come in, bringing hope and life. May you begin a move in us that, so, that then goes through us into our relationships, into our city, to our state, to our nation, to our world. Jesus, we believe that you are not only restraining evil, but you are actively fighting, actively pushing back against it, that no weapon formed against your people or against your church will prosper. And so, Lord, we take our stand today as those who have been set free through Jesus. We receive it, we walk in it, we ask for the privilege of sharing it with others. In your name we pray, amen. Thanks for listening to this podcast from Christian Chapel. For more information, visit us online at christianchapel.com.